So anyway, uh, it's great to be in the Christmas season. Um, one of the more famous Christmas songs is I'll Be Home for Christmas, whose lyrics go like this. I'll be home. I'm not going to sing it. You guys know how I sing. Uh, it says, I'll be home for Christmas. You can plan on me. Please have snow and mistletoe and presents by the tree. Christmas Eve will find me where the love light gleams. I'll be home for Christmas. What? Only in my dreams. So uh, my wife and I had the opportunity to live overseas for many years. And one year, we actually surprised our families back here in the States and let them know that we would be unexpectedly home for Christmas. And it was a great memory. But it gets you thinking, like, when I say get home for Christmas, what is home? Let me show you a few pictures um, and while you're thinking about that of some of the places I've called home during my life. This was the first home that I lived in uh, just over here in Willow Grove by the mall, 1822 Fleming Avenue. The next home I lived in for most of my life until you know, like during when I grew up, during my school years, this was located at 3275 Hillside Drive in Chalfont. And then this is our current home that we've been living in for over 20 years. This is where all, five of my six kids, this is the only home that they've known. And we've lived here, uh, this, is on, this is also in Willow Grove, 1612 Jill Road, Willow Grove. So I'm a Willow Groveian, I guess. Started in Willow Grove, have come back to Willow Grove, and then lived all over the world. But I want to come back to that question. What is a home? What is a home versus a house? What makes a home? Sometimes we use the word home and house interchangeably, as they're actually very similar words. But when I ask this question about their differences, it's not hard for you to begin to describe the differences in your mind. When you point to a place and say it's your house, you're really talking about a physical building. But when you say it's your home, you mean it's a place where you live life and make memories. When we call something our home, we refer to it about how we feel about it, not just what it is. We know that our homes are not just where we live, but also that we have some sort of emotional attachment to it. We've got great memories, and sometimes hard ones. But today what I want us to do is we're going to look at one of the ways that God referred to Jesus, and he called him our glorious house. But I could also say, we could say he is also our glorious home. The big idea for our message is to have Jesus, this glorious house, be our glorious home as the chief cornerstone in our salvation and also be the chief cornerstone in the stability of our lives and the source of unity we have with each other. We'll see what it means for to have Jesus as this cornerstone. We'll see that Jesus was and is God's only plan for salvation. We'll see how our lives will become stable when they're founded and grounded in him as our cornerstone. We'll also see how we have unity with one another when we're founded on having Christ as the cornerstone among ourselves. Last week, Pastor Brian walked us through Isaiah chapter 11, where we saw how the Hebrew scriptures anticipated the coming of this glorious king, and how that glorious king came when Jesus was born. Brian encouraged us to look forward to the day when our glorious king will come again. That is the day when Jesus returns, O glorious day. Today we're going to turn our attention to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. We'll be walking through these verses to see Jesus as this glorious house, this cornerstone that God has designed to be our salvation and the place we're going to call our spiritual home now and forever. We'll see how Jesus fulfilled many Old Testament prophecies given to him about being a cornerstone for our lives, even look at a few New Testament passages as well that talk about that. As we delve into these verses, we'll better understand what it means to come to Jesus, that is to leave our own ways, submit ourselves to him, and have a secure salvation for eternity. We'll also better understand how to draw near to him every day so we can understand what his purposes are and be able to stabilize us and be able to have unity with one another. So please turn with me in your Bible or your Bible app to 1 Peter chapter 2, 
verses 4 through 10. We're going to have them up on the screen as well. Starting in, chapter, starting in verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For, the scripture, for in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that may, makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. So we're going to walk through these verses together, understand them, and see how we can apply them to our lives. We'll start in verse 4, where Peter describes coming to Jesus, this living stone. Now, as we look at the, uh, this Advent season, it's really good to look at different terms that were used for Jesus that he became and fulfilled. And one of these titles is living stone. And ironically, if you think back to Jesus' life, he talked about himself in different ways. And he actually used this term living in John chapter 6, verse 51. And he referred to himself as the living bread. And here, Peter uses that same term living and applies it to a stone. Jesus talked about that living bread that come down from heaven and whoever eats this bread will live forever. And the same thing here, anyone who builds their life on this living stone will live forever as well. But by being called a living stone, Jesus was referred to as really one that wanted to be worshipped because a stone represented a place that would, people would come to do so. Now this living stone you'll see in here wasn't just one whose words and deeds were, were ones that everyone accepted. Unfortunately, it talks here in this verse that it caused men to take offense with him so they rejected him and brought ruin upon themselves. But Peter continues in verse 5 and he describes those of us who've come to him and we're what's called living stones. The same term he used for Jesus, he uses on us. We become these little Jesuses. And he tells us how we're being built into a spiritual home using these stones. Now, the, ironically, the term here for the spiritual home is the term oikos that Brian used quite a few months back when he was sharing with us about a body of Christians, a church that's led by the Spirit and by the power of God. So Peter here, when he's talking about this spiritual home, it's one that's produced by God himself. It's not one that we make ourselves. And he actually calls us supernatural people. Now this is not like the supernaturals in terms of the television, but supernatural in the sense that we are ones that are filled by God's Spirit and led by God's Spirit. So what is that like? What is that, in a way, what does that supernaturalness look like? Well, the language used here by Peter is being led by the Spirit with the sense of being exposed to and directed by the wind. Did you ever see a combine or a wind tunnel or whatever it goes? What is the wind pushing on you? What does that feel like? Anybody remember in a really strong wind, you feel being pushed, right? You feel being moved through the direction of the wind. That's what Peter's describing here of what it's like as we are supernatural. We are being driven by this wind. God is directing us in the things that we think, the things that we say, and the things that we do. That's how Peter is describing our lives in this supernatural way. Turning to verse 6, Peter begins to quote this Old Testament prophecy about Jesus in Isaiah 28, verse 6, as Jesus being the chosen and precious cornerstone of the spiritual house. Now, the imagery of the cornerstone was very well known to Peter and those he was writing. They built houses, 
They used often stones to do so. They knew that the cornerstone was the one that the, the integrity of the whole structure depended on. It was a stone that had to be carefully selected. Ancient stonemasons were trained to pick the right one. Now what I want to do here is just, I want to pause for a second. I want you to think, in your life, what are you in the process of choosing very carefully? Many of you who are into natural Christmas trees, you go through a process, and there's different tips and techniques that you may have. So why don't you just take a minute and share with somebody next to you whether you grew up, now in my house I'll, I'll share that we grew up with, uh, I don't think I've ever had a natural Christmas tree, but many of you have, and maybe you could share a tip with somebody next to you on how to look for a good tree. <laughs> Those of you online, please share with somebody next to you as well. Okay, let's, we'll pull it back together. I know I've lost you all by now. I've lost everyone. <laughs> okay, so maybe, let me, let me tell you one thing I learned. Again, I read about this, I didn't experience it, but apparently if you wanna pick a fresh tree, you wanna make sure that it's not drying out the farm. To see if a tree is fresh, it says, pull lightly on a branch and see if the needles are shiny and green, not dull or brown, and no needles should fall off when you're pulling on it. So that's one of the shake, that's one of the shake methods. So you can share more at the Christmas lunch today, but what I can tell you is, is that when Peter talked about this selection that God chose Jesus, clearly the selection of Jesus as a cornerstone was much more important than us picking a Christmas tree. But think about how much we had to share there, and think about how much that captures our mind. What I wanted to do is, just like we pass over different Christmas trees until we find the right one, the one that fits the height, the fullness of what we're looking for, stonemasons would pass over lots of stones and seek the appropriate one on which to build their building. Also in ancient times, these stonemasons spent the most care and precision placing that stone in a place where it would be in the right situation in order to make sure the stability of the building was dependent on everything they put on top of it. All the correct lines, everything was plumb and set, so everything would be able to be built. The other stones would derive their stability and orientation from this cornerstone. The cornerstone was set perfectly as it set the levels to the left, to the right, and above it. That's what we're going to talk about. This is Jesus. We're going to look at what does it look like to have that kind of cornerstone in our lives. Moving on to verses 7 and 8, Peter goes on to compare how believers and non-believers view Jesus. For the believer, Peter says, we find Jesus to be precious in verse 7. The term used for preference here, precious here is, is one that refers to a mark of honor. It's where you honor somebody for what they've done. We recently had Veterans Day. We honored our veterans. We honored other, other people. It's just a sense of recognizing the position that they have in your life. But Peter sadly says, for those who don't believe, they view Jesus as a stumbling block. They're annoyed and offended by him, the things that he said about him being our salvation. And they don't have a sense they even need a savior. They see their own merits as being sufficient for whatever they need. Peter continues in verse 7, and he shares how he, Jesus fulfills the Old Testament prophecy about him from Psalm 118.22, saying, being that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. In verse 8, Peter shares how Jesus fulfills the other Old Testament prophecy about him in Isaiah 8, 14, being that the stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. He's the person, as we end of this Christmas season, as you have conversations, 
It's very easy to say, well, what do you think about Christmas? What do you think about Jesus? And clearly people are going to fall into to two camps, ones who find him precious and ones who just find him annoying and offensive. Isaiah described Jesus as he will be, in that verse, he will be a holy place, both for Israel and Judah. He will be the stone that causes people to stumble, rock that makes him fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. It's just sad. In verses 9 and 10, Peter wraps up this section and reminds us how just as God chose Jesus to be this cornerstone, we too are chosen to declare to others that we were called out of darkness into wonderful light. We think about Christmas lights. We're hauled into this marvelous light, he tells it. We're to be awed in, awe in all of God and be moved in our deepest emotions about this marvelous thing that he's done for us. Peter describes us in these last two verses as a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special position, the people of God, and the ones who have received mercy. There's so much goodness backed into these descriptions of us as believers. I could do an individual message on each one. I can't do justice to them in the time that we have here. They're not like a stocking stuffer, but each one is a big gift for us. I encourage you this week to go back to these verses, verses 9 and 10, and understand chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, God's special possession, people of God, and ones that receive mercy. Walk through them in your time with the Lord. Understand how he views you, how special you are here at Christmas. Please take this time. So these verses that we've read and we've understood a little more, what do they mean to us? How do we apply them to our lives? The bottom line is this passage is about who Jesus is and also about who we are. As for who Jesus is, some of you may find the idea of Jesus being a cornerstone of somebody's life very odd, very different. Our prayer today is that you would come to see Jesus, come to him and be saved. When, Jesus, when, when Peter preached to the Jewish leaders in Acts chapter 4, verses 8 through 12, he explained to them that Jesus is, re, is the rejected stone who God had made the cornerstone of salvation. People rejected him, but God only, accept, only accepted him and put him in this position of highest honor. Peter pressed this point home with the powerful conclusion found in verse 12 as saying that salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. There's no other hope, no other way, no other name than this name of Jesus. Don't be like the builders who rejected God's stone of salvation. Don't reject him. Don't stumble over him. Rather, ask God to open your eyes and see him as the cornerstone of your salvation. When you do come to Jesus, I can tell you he takes away your sins in your life and he replaces them with peace, which he describes as passes all understanding. We hear about peace during Christmas as well. I want to take us back just one chapter earlier in 1 Peter. Peter describes the salvation that we get in Jesus as a living hope. This is what we have in our cornerstone, Jesus. In a subsequent verse 4 in chapter 1, Peter tells us how our salvation is one that can never perish, spoil, or fade. May you understand, except for yourself, come to Jesus and begin to appreciate this living hope that he has for you. And may today be the day that you begin to live in it for the first time. For those of us who have come to Jesus and are living in him, what does it mean for us? Once we have Jesus as the cornerstone of our salvation, we need to daily keep Jesus as the cornerstone of our lives. We so easily drift. When we have our daily lives founded in our relationship with Jesus, he promises us stability. That's what a cornerstone gives. In him and unity with each other. As for stability, back to that Isaiah 28, 16, it says, when we build our lives on him as a cornerstone, that he serves for us as a sure foundation. Reminded, if we rely on him, we will never be stricken with panic. 
Whoever believes in him will never need to be shaken. When we trust in him, we rely on him, we're not going to be disturbed in some sort of sudden panic. When we live our lives in the cornerstone, he takes away that rush, those symptoms that we sometimes have of anxiety, of panic. We're no longer going to be overcome by frightening or distressing feelings of unease that can come on us very quickly for no apparent reason. We no longer have to live in fear of fear. As we sang earlier, he is our peace when our fear is crippling. When we all feel stressed and unstable from time to time, but the holidays offer the special stressors that make it feel even worse, don't they? Family get-togethers that devolve into conflict, expectations of our time and our money, which we can't keep up. Welcome to the holidays. It even gets worse. Some of us dread the holidays so much, though, according to a recent survey, 45% of us wish we could just skip from Thanksgiving straight to the New Year rather than deal with all the stress. Holiday stress statistics show that 69% of us are stressed by the feeling of having a lack of time. Another 69% by having a lack of money. And over half of us are stressed out about the pressure to give or get gifts. But when we have our daily lives grounded in our relationship with Jesus, we experience stability in our lives that God intended us to have. When our lives are built on top of the cornerstone Jesus, he ensures that stability across all areas of our lives. We have Jesus as this cornerstone. Not only do we have this stability, but we also have unity. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. Remember those living stones we, we were created? Jesus being the chief cornerstone, our faith brings unity in this body of Christ. Paul talks about it again in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, when he says, Now therefore, you are no longer strangers or foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophet, Jesus being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple of the Lord, in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. As fellow citizens, we are part of the kingdom of God. And as members of God's household, all believers come together in one spiritual family as a holy temple. All believers together form a habitation for God. So in addition to, obviously, lack of time, lack of money, gift buying, we also get concerned about the lack of unity over the holidays. We're not going to ask you to share with each other at this time which family member you're least looking forward to see. But I would ask you at this time, maybe in a positive way on the unity side, maybe share with each other one of the family members you're most looking forward to seeing. Who you're most looking forward to see over the holidays. Share with each other. And it can be the person next to you. Okay, it can be the person next to you. Those of you online, I'm sure you're sharing with one another. Well, let, let me bring it back in. Let me show you a picture of two people who definitely aren't looking forward to seeing each other in the holidays. Okay? These sisters are clearly looking forward to getting together. Okay? So the bottom line is when we come to the holidays, relationships become paramount. And unfortunately, there are so many broken relationships we want to avoid. There are triggers and reminders of those of, of us who we've been hurt by people, there's triggers and reminders of those of us who aren't able to be there due to maybe distance. And for myself and my family, 
there's, unfortunately this year, there's going to be reminders of, of death, of, of loved ones we've recently lost. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. But we need that stability that comes from Christ, and more importantly, we need this unity, this sense of commonality and closeness we experience with each other when we each have Jesus as the cornerstone of our lives. Because we're not dependent on each other for support. We have our support in Jesus, and when we look to him, he bolsters us, and then we can encourage and equip one another in our, in our lives. We are people who are all relying on Jesus for our provision of salvation, but more importantly, for his presence in our daily life to give us that peace. As I wrap up, I just want us to think about a phrase that we use quite often. It's a phrase that says, let's go home. Let's go home. When you say, let's go home, what are you referring to? When you say it. We're not talking about moving to a physical building called a house. Instead, when we say we're going, let's go home, we often are talking about, let's go to a special place where we belong. Home is closely bonded with what we think and feel about what matters most to us. Is Jesus your home? Is he your glorious home? I'd like you to take a bit of time this week, and I want to encourage you, and you saw I, I found those pictures quite easily. Um, go back to the places that you lived. The, those of you who live in the area, maybe take the time not just to go see some of the Christmas lights, but go back to one of the homes you grew up in. Drive by. Think about those memories that you've had there from time to time. If you live in, let's say, Colorado, go back to pictures of Colorado. Just, just coincidentally, look back at some of those pictures, right? Think about those memories from the time that you have there and realize that that was really just a glimpse of what we have waiting for us, as Pastor Brian talked. We have an eternal home that we look forward to. So not only to us a child is born, not only to us a son is given, but we have the opportunity not only to be saved, but to look forward to the future glory, a future home where we're going. So we want this, this today and for this Advent season for us to just think about our home, coming home again. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you that you are our glorious home. We thank you that we can be saved through what you've done for us. We thank you that we can live in you and be stable, and be unified with one another. Lord, as we feel unstable at times, or maybe have uneasiness, Lord, we pray that we would be brought back to you, Lord, that we would be connected back to you. Lord, I thank you that you give us a community of faith, that we can be connected to one another, to encourage and equip one another in our journey. And Lord, as you've placed us into families, into neighborhoods, into communities, into workplaces, Lord, I pray that we would be able to shine this light that you've given us as peter declared that we would declare your name as the only source of salvation and lord i thank you that we have each other to encourage along the way in your name amen